that's part of the joy of being a person who is a parent or a manager or, or works with people, you know, seeing the things that they get to do, how they grow. Never be afraid of failure. Failure means you're growing. That's George and Wendy Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Kara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast, where I invite my favorite humans, the awesome, the up to something, and the extraordinary to come and share their story. I hope that you'll be left entertained, inspired, and moved to take action towards living your most powerful life. George and Wendy Duffy are very much the stereotypical suburban American parents. They've even been called TV parents, referencing the parents you'd see on Leave it to Beaver, The Brady Bunch, or Family Ties. Married for 43 years, they've raised four kids, including Jordan and I. With George going to work every day and Wendy, next teacher, managing the household. They are the traditional nuclear do-good family that statistics say is going extinct. At the same time, we know them as risk takers, adventurers, they're silly and entrepreneurial. Like so many of us, how to look on paper is a fraction of who they really are. We decided to sit down with them and hear what they have to say about being powerful. How having kids doesn't mean your life stops. Which social and political topics matter to them. And as they're about to retire, what they're doing to shape the world into a better place. All that and so much more coming up, but first. This episode of The Powerful Ladies is made possible by our Patreon subscribers. Did you know that for as little as $1 a month, you can support this podcast? You can send us love, tell us that you want more. You can support all of our events and all that we're doing in the world to fulfill on our full circle of empowerment. It starts at $1 a month. That's less than the coffee you're drinking a day. And there's so many more levels that give you more bonuses and fun things and behind the scenes information. So go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash powerful ladies and support us today. Thank you in advance. You guys look like I'm about to torture you. That's what we think. Go ahead. All right. Well, hi, mom and dad. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us on. You're welcome. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. So we're not holding any punches back. We're going to start with question number one. When have you guys felt the most powerful? Uh, I think I felt the most powerful once I realized uh, after we moved to California and I was able to get a job on my own. Can you provide more context around that? Like, what was it? What was it like before? What was it like after? We could make our own decisions. Um, when we were first married, before we married, we always talked about moving to California, mm-hmm. and we put that off for a lot of different reasons. And then when you were three, no, you were about three or four, we made a decision to sell the house we were in and take you and Donna to California. So uh, I quit my job, sold the house, and I thought I had a job lined up prior, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. We still came, and uh, through a lot of trials and tribulations, I ended up getting a job, and, and you know, that's when I felt more powerful. I realized that even though it was usually stressful, you, you, I got through it yeah, and was able to, uh, you know, put that behind us, or behind me, and go, you know what, I, I, I did this this time, I can always do it again. So that example's 30-something years old. Yes. 
Have you felt powerful since then? Um, I think that just carries through to mm-hmm. every day. You know, there's been times where I think maybe like everybody that you fall back mm-hmm. and you say that, uh, you know, what was me? What do I do? You're stuck in a rut. But then if you're around certain powerful people, they, uh, they bring you back up. Mm-hmm. Me? Sure, Mom. When have you felt <laughs> most powerful? I felt most powerful after I had Jordan and Austin because I had you and Donna when I was younger. Yeah. So I was insecure about what I was doing or how to do it correctly. Then when I had Jordan and Austin, I was a little older and I understood things better. So I wasn't afraid to say how I felt. I wasn't afraid to stand up for my kids even more and myself. And uh, I felt like I could travel and go anywhere daddy had to go because of his job. And then now that I'm older, I don't really care what people think, so I'm really powerful because I just do what I want. I've never known you not to, so <laughs> it might be more of a self-realization than a, re- a realization in, in the world. Um, well, you kind of mentioned that you guys have raised four kids, yes. three girls and a boy, yep. and none of us are shy, Nope. even if we may have been at moments in our life. When you were... Thinking about what it meant for you to raise kids, like what it, what attributes did you hope we would have? Like, did you just want us to be happy? Did you ever think about us wanting to be able to be powerful? Like, what were you hoping for us before you either met us or as we were still kind of coming into our own? First would be healthy. Always happy. Most important to me because, you know, education and teacher and so forth, I wanted you to be intelligent to the point where you can solve your own problems, find information that you need, and be self-independent in a sense, mm-hmm. and be able to do whatever you want in life, travel, work, any any particular job. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we did. And we always, we never treated the girls different from the boy. It was always any sport you wanted, any event you wanted, anything you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think we ever held you back with anything. As we you o- say that, I'm like, my mind's going like, did they? <laughs> we always supported you. We never stopped you from doing anything. We may have guided you saying maybe that's not the best mm-hmm. or you excel better in this. But Because of this parenting style, do you feel that you are do, you did this parent this type of parenting because of... Um, that's how you were raised, or is it because you weren't raised that way? I grew up mostly in the 60s that I would remember. And uh, my folks really didn't get involved in a lot. You know, they didn't really check my homework. They didn't really go to any sports events or anything like that. It was just, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom when I was younger. My dad worked. Weekends, we were just basically home. We um, had a pool in our town, so every summer I would go swimming, and they would take us, like, when he came home from work. But as far as that, you know, my father pushed me to be a teacher, mostly because he said, you get summers off. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it was, he just wanted us all to go to college, because he didn't get to go to college. You know, I'm only the second generation American. 
My relatives came from Norway and Sweden, and even my father went back to Norway when he was a little kid and then came back to America. And he was born there, so you were first on that side. No, he was born here. He was? My aunt wasn't. Okay. His sister. So he was born here, and then they went back. They went back. He stayed there for a couple of years and then came back to America. And um, so for him, it was you try to do the best you can. Do better than I did. That was their philosophy. But um, I don't know. I just always just wanted my kids to do whatever they wanted and have a great life. So I grew up with a pack of wolves. <laughs> no, this all was, makes sense now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so no, it was a large family. So was, there were seven kids, and uh, with two loving, very loving parents, with their own baggage, of course. But I think um, with that many kids and being older, you're kind of if you weren't watching over somebody else, you were off on your own someplace to go do something. So I I stayed out of trouble so I could kind of roam the roam the universe as I saw fit. But I think when you say, oh, parenting style, listen, <laughs> we had you, and um, there wasn't a plan. I, I think that, you know, after we got married, you know, it was five years later, um, and we just wanted to make sure that you were in a safe environment, had plenty of love, and, and, I, and I really think better than than we had it, way more communications than I had, you know. Later on, of course, as you become friends with your parents, those things happen. But I think younger, you know, um, we just want to make sure you had everything. You know, our lives revolved around you guys to, to make you as the people that you are, you know, trying to give you everything that you could possibly need, not want, but need so that you could have a good life. As he said about more communication, you know, I know from talking to your father, when we were kids— you left the house. You didn't come back till dinner. Mm-hmm. Nobody came and checked on you. Nobody wanted to know where you were. You're just out. We were always knew where you guys were, who you were hanging out with. We were more involved that way. Mm. When, you, when you look at the all of us as adults now, are you surprised where any of us are at? Or does scared. it make sense? You're scared? <laughs> no. Um that's a good question. No, because I knew you would be where you are, Kara, because you were always out, going, doing, you know, nothing stopped Kara. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan was always musical, singing, you know, doing stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Donna, from the time she was little, we walked in the house and it was read, read, read to me. So, of course, she's writing stuff. Mm-hmm. And Austin was always into sports and then eventually gaming, stuff like that. So that you all kind of evolved what you were doing when you were little to adults. I, I think the most, maybe we're getting a little off the question here, but we're most proud because of the people that you are, that you take time to talk to people, mm-hmm. you, you carry on a conversation, you, um, and the way you treat other people. So every time we come away from people that, know that meet you, all I get are compliments about how well-spoken you are, how polite you are, you know, all the things that a parent would want. But am I surprised where you are today? I don't think you're going to be where you are yet. Yeah. So I have, you know, I I have great expectations for your aspirations, wherever they may be. 
So I think you guys are just getting started. So mm-hmm. Real quick, I was going to say one thing is that we had a neighbor who was an elderly person, and she was very surprised how all of you, even Austin being a boy, as teenagers, talk to adults. Don't just think, oh, they're old people and not even bother with them. So that I've always been proud of. Well, you guys never had a rule about, like, your kids go away or no talking or... You, it, it wasn't like that. I mean, people have asked me what I think was different about being how I grew up versus other people. And besides moving, I, like, you guys never, really like, kept things from us. At least it didn't feel that way. Like, I think I always knew when we had money or when we didn't or why you were upset or what was going on, like... I'm sure there were things you haven't told us because that's what parents do. But I felt like whether you told us directly or not, we kind of knew what was the reality of our life, where we were living and why. And if dad was working a lot, why he was working a lot and why we could or couldn't do these things. Like it wasn't like you protected us or didn't tell us things. Like we didn't get a lot of um, just because answers. And I think that was a, you know, a good thing. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. I would say, like, I remember if we couldn't do something, it was like, we don't have the money. Be like, okay, cool, got it. Um, my question is, are you guys surprised at where you are today? Mm-hmm. Where are we? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I think that um, there was a lot of different work or career plans that didn't maybe work out the way that I wanted them to work out financially, but from uh, – Everything else, you know, everybody's healthy. How lucky are we for that? Because I was a geography major, and I always loved different places and cultures and stuff. I'm, I'm kind of happy that we did move a lot, got to see a lot of the country and different, like, of course, you in Germany, we got to see other countries outside mm-hmm. of the U.S. and so forth. So it kind of goes with what I studied through college. I, I think What's probably unique about our family is that even when we were first married, we took our dog everywhere. We didn't exclude you from wherever we were going. If you guys couldn't go, we didn't go. Yeah. We, you know, you were our family. And then we also moved away from everybody else. So there was no other, um, not as many influences from uncles or aunts or longtime friends. And I think in some cases it was probably a good thing that we moved you from place to place, you may not think of it now, but um, you know it may have protected you a little bit from the bad things that happen in a place when you're there for way too long. Or, or it, I'm not saying that happens to everybody, but just that. No, this, for sure, I and, can support that theory. Right, mm-hmm. and plus, you guys got to reinvent yourself every time you went to a new school, like I did when I went to a new job. Um, you know, one of the things I've learned is that. When you're the new person, they don't know how you're going to be, but I would meet people and I would take them on face value. Oh, this is what he's done for me or her, and this is great. But then someone else has an opinion because they've worked there for 20 years. Remember when they worked in the warehouse and that's all they see them as. I see their potential. That's all I look for. So, But us moving around, I thought, was um, beneficial for all of us. I know there was an example with your sister Donna. She was in high school at the time, and uh, the teacher started talking about stuff, and Donna's like, oh, I was there, and starts talking about it. And then later on in the year, something else, oh, I was there. (laughs) So she said, 
I was, and the kids were amazed that Donna knew all these places and answers about stuff. And it's just from having traveled and moved and been to all these different places. So she thought it was a great benefit, even though she felt, well, I didn't get that friend for so long. But t- now today, with you know all the technology, you know, it's you can talk to people all the time, no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about we moved a lot. Um, and for the listeners, I f- I know a lot of people who are terrified of moving. You're leaving your family. You're leaving the comfort of places. So why were you guys so open? Or was it, I, we talked about this, but on air, why, was it really hard in the beginning? Or why did you continue moving? Like, why were you like, okay, we're going to, because we, for the listeners, we moved I mean, me personally, it was about like every two years. Every year to year and a half. Yeah, and a lot of people ask me if I'm an army brat, and I say, no, I'm a cable TV brat. So that's always my joke. Yeah. Well, I'll tell them what you always say, George. Witness protection. (laughs) (laughs) Or the kids were so bad, they always kicked us out. (laughs) Well, because So you guys were high school sweethearts, grew up in the same, you know, typical 1950s, 60s town in New Jersey. Middle class uh, neighborhood. Right. So why did you move in the first place and why did you keep moving? Well, I think when we first were together, we always sp- talked about going someplace. We liked to travel together. Your mother supported me when we were s- single dating, racing my motorcycle. So then we we talked about going to California. And I think that's in everybody's mind especially from the East Coast, California is this place where everybody lives on the beach. They surf all day and, you know, they don't have to work or do any of these things. So certainly a huge misconception, but um, it, it was that lifestyle that was sold. And, you know, that's what we wanted to do. Now realize that you can think all those things. The reality of doing it is terrifying. When I first left that job and moved to California, a few days here, not having a job, not having that routine, I was totally messed up. I was happy. Because <laughs> he was messed up and you're happy? No, no. I just, I like adventure and seeing different places. That's why I was studied geography in school. And I'm like, oh, we're going here. Where are we going next? What's next? So mom's excited and you're having a panic attack. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it's not- <laughs> but I had two little kids to raise too. So Yeah, and I it was- wasn't about the moving part. You know, everything is different. So people, most people don't move more than 20 minutes from where they grow up. That's the vast majority of people. So they always have that base, that safety net, things mm-hmm. like that. So you lose that. So that's the, and you get over it. That's fear. Everybody has fear about a, a lot of different things. The only way to conquer your fear is to face it and do it. If you don't, if you're afraid of flying, the only way to conquer it is to get in a plane and go. So, but that wasn't like a plan where I said, "Oh, I got to conquer this fear." It's just the anxiety that you go through until you know you're become self-assured with yourself. That's why I said I got through all that. I got a job on my own without anybody's help, and I did it. So. No one could ever take that away from me. No matter what happened, I knew that I could always get another job. And certainly I did that a few times. So, um, you know, it's been a great adventure from work-wise. But the other thing was, you know, we met all kinds of different people. But we also lost a lot of people. I think that's the the counterpoint to this is that, yeah, we saw a lot of things. But I don't have that corner coffee shop that everybody knows me. I got to make that every place I go. I got to redo that. 
we don't have, we never had babysitters. Maybe that's why we always took you everywhere. <laughs> well, mom is also paranoid. <laughs> that's true. Now, I was going to say, when you said adventure, um, there was that dog show, Fluppy Dogs or something. Pound Puppies? No, no, no. This is old ago. It was like Fluppy Dogs or whatever it was. And in it, he used to go, Adventure Jamie, Adventure. So it became Adventure George, Adventure. Because <laughs> that's what it was. Every time we moved, it was a big adventure. Yeah, I think, you know, we've been together a long time, over 42 years. And I think that without the support of your mother, I couldn't have done half the things. She never stopped me from doing anything that I had an interest in. That you know wasn't probably something stupid, but um, but she was always there to say I could do it, even when I thought. I remember I took the job, uh, and when we came back to New Jersey, and I said, "Oh, this is a this is a higher level manager job." I was just a supervisor before. She goes, "What are they going to do? Fire you?" Okay, <laughs> so you know it was just go ahead, you know, go forward and and, and uh, see what you can do. So you know I. Can I backtrack to the question you asked when you felt more powerful and things yeah, like that? Mm-hmm. Living in Kentucky, um, we had a few scares with tornadoes coming by and stuff. And I looked at the house. We had a place to go. I would hide with the dog and stuff. But after those two experiences, my whole life changed because I said, what is the worst that could happen? The house blows away. Everything is gone. Start over. Mm-hmm. As long as you're alive and healthy, the rest is meaningless at this point. So I think my biggest change is when I had to go through those experiences and realize nothing else mattered but being with your dad and my kids. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, whatever happens, happens. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people are, are nervous about taking opportunities that are in different states or countries or even, you know, down the road. And we're making it sound like everything's fine. But I think it's also really important to speak to the fact that every time we moved, there was a complete emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. behind this. Like, it's not like you say yes, and then everything's fine. And it just like, oh, we're a little nervous, but it works out. Like, no, there was, like, complete meltdowns that happened along the way. Like, even, you know, we were looking at properties with you guys yesterday because you're about to retire and, like, where do you want to go? And, you know, the places we were looking at are within two hours of where I live right now. And Jesse and I have been talking about, like, what's next for us and where else should we go? I know that even if we move one hour away, we have to assume we're moving to another planet. Otherwise, like, it's not going to work. So I don't think, like, even when I went to Germany, I was like, okay, I'm going to another planet. I have to assume nothing will work the way it was supposed to. Like, you really have to do this mental preparation. And I think a lot of people either underestimate how difficult it will be or they overestimate how difficult it will be. Like, where is that middle ground of just accepting that there's all this stuff is going to happen, but, like, just keep going, which is maybe just a whole life metaphor, but... I go crazy. Uh, I drive him crazy because I get so into, I'm very organized. I know where my cups go. I know what I, sheets, all this stuff. Also called control freak. (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. Meanwhile, everyone's eyebrows (laughs) in the studio just raised as high as they could. I like to be organized so I can find things easy. I know where they are and so forth. So every time we would go to look at another house, I'm like, "Ah, that's not where that goes. And that isn't there. And 
he would, you know, dad would go nuts like, hey, we'll make adjustments. That's the hardest for me. I get so used to something, even though we always live there long, but I get organized very quick. And then I'm like, I got to reorganize. I got to change. Where's it going to fit? I get like a little meltdown. And then finally, it's just like, whatever. And then I can go on. So that's the hardest part for me moving. Well, you have, you get all the, there's so many emotions tied to things, mm-hmm. right? So it's like before you move, there's all the everything we're leaving behind. And then once you get there, there's everything that doesn't work. So it's not like there's right. one meltdown. There's usually <laughs> at least two, if not but, more. But I got to <laughs> praise your father because he always went ahead with the job first. So he was there before we got there. And he would find the doctors and the schools and set all that up. And that took a lot of pressure off me. Because every time we're moving, oh, we're making it with a doctor. What about the dentist? Who do you? And I would. Ah. Stuff that I don't even think about. Well, well you weren't a mother. You got four kids. That's the first thing you think about a dentist, the doctor. Where are they going to go to school? All that stuff. Yeah. And realize that when we'd have a conversation because a job would come up or maybe I wanted to move on from where I was. And me and your mother would have a conversation about what do we do? And well, and then the feelers would go out. But I realized that it. I know it was hard for you. Actually, you three girls, women, were very easy to move. You you didn't complain, oh, I don't want to move. I don't remember ever you saying, I don't want to move. Now, your brother, that's another story. <laughs> but um, Because he got to stay in one place longer than any of them. Yeah, but I uh, also, um, I realize it, it takes 45 days for – for you guys, once 45 days passed, you didn't talk about your old friends. Mm-hmm. You didn't talk about the old town hardly. You didn't talk about, I want to go back there. And you hardly ever said that. But once that 45 days passed, and then once we did a Christmas or a holiday season in a house. But I will say it usually took one year to feel like it was home. Yeah, but then we would leave. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I can't imagine a life not moving. Because it just, I don't know, when you're used to chaos, there's a different level of... I can't either, and that's why thats why I really brought this up, because I feel like a lot of people, for, for them to feel powerful, they know their area, they're comfortable where they are. But, like, me, one of the reasons I feel powerful is because I with moving so much, it gave you so many good attributions. We're so social. Attributes. That word, yep. I can't do English, so that also <laughs> helps. Um, no, I was going to say, that was the best thing. You all made friends in like one week. Mm, that yeah. quick. Mm-hmm. You never were afraid to talk to people. And you knew if you didn't talk to people, you'd be sitting in the corner forever. But you guys are all very sociable now. You'll talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what shocked me? When you had to go to Germany and you asked me to stay at your house in Long Beach. Yeah. I was there like for a month watching Bandit and stuff. Yep. I, would, I went to Disney by myself. I went to Balboa. I went to Knott's Berry. I I went all over. And my friends back home would say, you went by yourself? Oh, isn't that scary? I'm like, I had a lot of fun. I could do whatever I want. Nobody, I didn't have to wait for anybody. You I could go to the bathroom a hundred times. Yeah. No one complained. <laughs> I'd go on ride. But the funny thing is, I'd go on a ride. I'm on lo- uh, online by myself. And they'd say, and I'd say, hey, where are you guys from? I would just talk to people. And they'd say, oh, come sit with me on the ride. You're alone. I had that almost everywhere I went, and I'm like, this was so much fun. But a lot of my friends couldn't understand how I could do it by myself. And I'm like, what's so scary? I never understood that. 
obviously like what powerful means and who powerful people are has changed a lot over time. When you think about when you were kids, what did you think was powerful? Like as you grew up, how did powerful people and your perspective of them and your descriptive description of them change? <laughs> well, I think there's a difference between being, there are a lot of powerful people um, and people yield the power that they have, whether they're politicians or leaders or bosses that you have. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, it's, it kind of goes back to, you know, with great power comes great responsibility kind of, you know, but I think that it's all how you use it more than anything else. And being powerful, um, I think for yourself is really important. But I think that you have to also understand how the things that you do that interact with people. And I think being powerful is not being afraid, looking for what's what you want to do. And I think I tell people all the time, what makes you happy? Mm -hmm. If you're happy doing whatever it may be, you don't have to be like me. Stay in one place. Do do whatever mm -hmm. makes you happy. That's the most important thing that I've learned over the years. Um, but you know, there are things people want to do things, and and however you can support them to be powerful is is a great thing. And I think that's part of the joy of being a person who is a parent or a manager or or works with people. You know, seeing the things that they get to do, how they grow. Um, I think. Part of power is being able to just do what you want, mm -hmm. not care what other people say or what other people think. If it's a passion you have, go out and do it. And if people start judging you and so forth, realize they're jealous or they don't have the courage to do something. And I, I agree like your father, you don't have to do what everybody else does. Do what makes you happy and what you want to do in life even if it doesn't make you happy. And never be afraid of failure. Failure means you're growing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like, they always say about Edison with the light bulb, how many experiments before he got it right? Baseball players, how many hit more, you know, outs than home runs? Mm -hmm. So failure is a way of growing to get to where you want. So that's my one thing I would say, and that's a powerful thing when you know you can fail. Who are powerful people that you guys admire? Well, I'm going to give you three, but you're going to probably laugh at me. That's okay. <laughs> I admire Lady Gaga, Pink, and Michelle, Michelle Obama. I wouldn't laugh at any of those. Why would we laugh at those? Well, they're like not the same. They're like different. I know, but that's, I think, the definition of what we're trying okay. to cover on this podcast. Yeah. So now I want to know what you admire about each of them. I admire her. I admire her. Oh boy, I'm like my daughter. <laughs> I admire Pink because she just went out and I'm going to sing and this is how I sing. This mm -hmm. is how I'm going to look. And I think she's a, a great singer. Same with Lady Gaga. I, I'm going to make a point of things. I'm going to let you see what I do. And I, I think she's wonderful. And I like Michelle Obama because she has grace, mm -hmm. sophistication, dressed great, and supported her husband as well but she wanted the world to be better let's exercise let's eat right mm -hmm. let's read and and be good so those are my three okay <laughs> well I, you know first i have to say that spider-man <laughs> <laughs> you know there's a lot of characters out there books i've read fiction mm -hmm. as well as uh biographies and you know there's great 
great people have done some great things. But really who I admire most are, are really my children because I think that you're, you're, you're still fearless. I see that the things that you do, and I know you're I know that you're afraid is probably not the right word, but concerned about things that you do, but you go ahead and do them anyway. You know, mm-hmm. I, Jordan, the other day, we were at the that wood chip festival or whatever it was. It's called the Sawdust Festival. <laughs> the wood chip I, festival, wow. What did, and Austin called it that wood fair thing. <laughs> it was a beautiful place, uh, Christmas theme. But... You know, I tease Jordan about singing all the time, but she's fearless. She got up and right in the middle of the crowd, let off a little opera, which was kind of cool. So, and I know that I push you guys to do certain things, but I think that uh, that's who's powerful. But let's go back a little further. You know, I had a powerful mother and a powerful grandmother besides a powerful wife, Mm -hmm. okay? I couldn't have done, you know, your mother had just, been wonderful as far as all the things going forward. All the little details that I miss, which is probably most of them, um, she's she's covered that gap. You know, I, I worked hard to try and bring in money so that we could do support the family and, you know, keep a roof, pay for all the schools and things like that. But she she put all the pieces together so that, that we were like that. But, you know, I had a mother who um, race had seven kids and then went out and started a career in the insurance business, became an insurance broker. How old was she when she started that? She was probably in her early 40s. Okay. I mean, she still had young kids at home. And and at that time, they said, no, we, we won't give you a job in the insurance business. You can't do this. You have kids. They turned her away. So she she had to go her own route to, to build this little business that she had that, that she did quite well with. And I had a grandmother who, you know, born in 1901, marched with the the suffrage movement and raised her kids to be strong. You know, we have an aunt that uh, is another powerful woman, has had her own business. and Still does. Right. And still does wonderful things. But so there's a lot of powerful people that were in the family. And I think the other part is holding everybody accountable. My mother held me accountable to be the a person that I should be. Like we hold you accountable. There, there's things that we would not accept from you, behaviors and things like that. It's like, nope, that's not happening. Yeah. So, on, the, on the scale of strictness, you guys were, like it's hard to explain to people because I think you were very open but very strict as parents. Yeah, because it like to give an example, I could never lie to you guys, not out of fear of like, what would happen if I did lie to you? It was more of you guys were open about it where it's like, why would you lie? There's no reason to lie. So I was always open with you. I'm probably too open with you guys, but it was it was never like. <laughs> At least one parent just nodded. <laughs> <laughs> it was more of like, you can't lie to us. I have lied to you guys and it has backfired. I was going to say, you always would that. get, you would get caught in your lie. And part of it was really cool, especially growing up. Uh, in the Massachusetts where we were the last like 10 years. Yeah. We all had friends through the kids' sports. Nobody got away with anything because somebody's parents saw you in town and they would come back and say, you know. Well, I think you you guys were very, you were strict with the rules that you had, especially compared to how a lot of other people I know were raised. 
Um, but you're also really involved. Like, like we didn't have a choice. You were like in our space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. you were in everything. For better that, that, or worse. That sounds bad. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, we <laughs> weren't helicopter parents, but there wasn't like a part of our lives that you didn't know about because there just wasn't any space for it. Mm-hmm. Like if there was a class trip, you, mom, you always went because one, you were like, I feel like one, you wanted to be involved with us and two. You just wanted to go on the trip yourself. <laughs> you just wanted to go on the trip I wanted yourself. to go on the trip. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you were also a teacher. So you, all, you have that angle. You, yep. I feel like you taught us. Really, like I remember, uh, oh man, we'd have spelling test every week before the actual test. You would make us every night. Every night, you'd make us spell the word. If we got it wrong, we wrote it like ten times or however many times. But and then by Friday, we got an A, a plus. Yep. So, but I have a question based off of the powerful people. Who, Dad, you talked about your mom and your grandmother and your aunt. Mom, who, when you were growing up, who were your, like, either either gender? Who were, like, who did you look up to? Who was powerful to you? Well, my father basically controlled everything in my house. My mother was very timid. Was not, you know, it was, watch out when your dad gets home, you're going to get it. You know, so she didn't do anything. But the one thing I could say, my father was going to be laid off. And since he was only the breadwinner, it was nerve nerve wracking. My mom got up and went out and got a job. And then worked How that, old were you when this happened? Maybe junior high school or now they say middle school. And okay. um you know, it was cuz I remember in high school she was working cuz I would wake up in the summer to go swimming or something she was already gone. And uh, that was really really hard on her. Because she was not a very forceful, pushy person, but my my dad my dad had some surgeries. She took over. You know, she didn't like to drive, but she had to. So when it came to push, came to shove, she was powerful. Mm-hmm. On her own, she'd rather be submissive and just relax and so forth. So I, my my grandmother, she was like your father's grandmother. I guess it was that generation too. That, you know, you go through wars and, you know, de- depressions. You, you what have made to... them powerful to you? Okay, my, um, my grandmother, she always worked. She even used to address envelopes for companies, and that was a business. Address envelopes? Yeah, you would write out who the stuff goes to. They didn't have computers and printers and stuff like that, so people would handwrite addresses. Oh, okay. She worked for a tugboat company in the office, she went and got a job in a department store on weekends. A lot of it was um, my grandfather had gotten hurt. So a lot of it was necessity. Yeah. And you had to do what you had to do. You know, she went through the depression. She went through the different wars. She even had her two friends who lost their husbands move in with her, built a basement to a bedroom apartment for them. And it was just a matter of it has to be done. You don't have a choice. You become powerful with necessity. And uh, so my grandmother was very forceful. My mother had been sick when she was like late teens, so she was more timid. But when it came to push to shove, she went out and did it. So they were the most, the two people around me that I would have seen. I had a more sheltered life. You know, I didn't have a lot of powerful people around. It was just mostly my family. You know, I only had one aunt. Family can be powerful. Well, I mean, I only had one aunt who had no other, no kids. My other uncle, they were out in California, were in New Jersey. So I didn't have a lot of relatives around. 
unlike your father who had a lot more kids and people. So I was the youngest, the only girl. So I was had a very sheltered life. So again, with me, it came to when I had to do it. You know, I was scared and nervous, but do it. Um, when you guys were growing up, were there people in schools or uh, even celebrities or dad, you comic books uh, that were powerful people to you that you looked up to, even if they were not real people, they were fiction? I would get a lot of it from, from reading biographies, whether it be uh, Jefferson or Edison or Tesla or uh, just a, a random story about uh, – People over, uh, achieve achievements and overcoming. You know, the Boys in a Boat is a great book about that. So, well, so when you thought about like who you wanted to be when you grow up, who who were you modeling your ideal life after? Well, you made the comic book reference, so it's like <laughs> I can't be Superman, but I could be Clark Kent. So I think you know what did, what, what what did that mean? Well, I think that meant to be to be good and honest. And fair, and to look out for people who who weren't as fortunate as you. What about you, Mom? I wanted to be Marie on Donnie and Marie. <laughs> That's who you wanted to be when you grew up? What I did that the, mean? Well, they had fun together, and they were singing and dancing and had stars come in and entertaining people, and people were laughing and having fun. I used to just love watching that show. It was so much fun. There's a lot of things that you said in that that I wouldn't um, – that seemed to be maybe missing in the life that you've built. So how are you entertaining celebrities and having fun? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> no, I just thought, I don't know. Maybe that's why uh, it, it's fun watching Jordan when she goes out and we see her sing at open mics or something like that. It just looks like a great Entertainment, you're making people laugh. Now it makes sense. It makes so much more sense now. Well, I think that we need to re-gift your gift and give it to mom, because <laughs> I think mom has some improv inspirations that haven't yeah. been tapped into. <laughs> the two of you can go together. That would Perfect. be amazing. Yeah. Actually, that would be a fantastic TV show. That would. <laughs> you and your mom going to improv class. It'd be like taking <laughs> Barry to another level. Who needs the assassin storyline when you're going to acting classes with your mom? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> She's like, okay. Yeah. Um, well, you guys are, are both, in my opinion, smart and powerful people and capable and kind of on a good citizen's checklist. So when you look at the world today, what are the causes that you think more people should be focused on or making an impact in? And what do you want to see change? Healthcare. Explain. Everybody should have health care. Nobody should worry that they don't have money to take care of their child, their elderly parent, or themselves. I think there's a big gap missing in health care. I mean, even me, eventually I'm going to be on Medicare. I'm worried about how I'm going to pay for my prescriptions. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's amazing how much you have to pay. And uh, the other thing, I think... Um, like daycare for parents. It's really hard for a lot of daycare women. Daycare for like elderly parents? No, 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 for, for children. Oh. <laughs> you so, said parents. 
daycare. For, you said daycare for parents. I thought you yeah, meant for, like so the for parents, senior parents. No, no, no. So parents can put their kid in daycare and not worry and feel very safe. I think more businesses should have on-site daycares. Because if you have a parent who feels comfortable that their child is safe, you're going to have a great parent, a great worker who will do a great job for your business. Mm -hmm. And I know that was my biggest problem. And like, look at your sister Donna. She has to travel, and to get somebody to watch her kids is really hard. Mm -hmm. And she's very nervous about it. The other thing I was going to say is people should be more concerned about the earth, like, you know, um, recycle more, you know, use, like, I got you guys the produce bags that are washable, yes. and you can reuse them, things like that, I think are important. I think people should stop getting a lot of waste. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I, I don't like a lot of waste. You see people throw things out, you know, or they buy things they don't need, and it just piles up and piles up. So I think taking care of the earth, taking care with all the medical stuff, and daycare would make a lot of people more happier. If you, if you can be relaxed and knowing things are clean and safe and so forth, you're happier. Mm -hmm. So those are my three main concerns. I agree. I think that today... Um, we seem to blame groups for our problems. Um, people that are who are powerful uh, try to leverage one group against another, and we don't need that. There is no group. It's all we're all in the same group. Yeah, this is this is the richest country in the world. There's no reason why we don't take care of each other, and it's not someone else's fault because some poor person is getting welfare someplace. No, that's not the problem. We, but we need to make sure everybody's housed and fed. There's plenty of money for that to go around for everybody and just taking care of health, you know, all those things. So I think uh, people have to make sure they know facts and really pay attention to what's going on. I mean, we're so busy working. That's the problem. We're all working hard. Yeah. Our heads are down and we're digging our holes, and but we're not paying attention all the time to the people that we – we uh, we elect and and we need to do that. How do you recommend people do that? Like, what actions can people take to be more aware and involved? Well, I mean, how many people go to the voting booth and not even sure who they're voting for? Mm -hmm. Okay, so take take a few minutes and understand who the candidates are. How many town hall meetings have you gone to? Don't be right? selfish. Well, I just think that you know we talked about what topics matter to you guys. And I feel like we need people like you who are smart and capable and come from a good place to be people taking those things on in whatever level, shape, form that looks like. I think that your generation, even younger, have to realize just because somebody's old doesn't mean they're stupid or unable to do anything. That's exactly what I just said. Right. But I'm, I'm saying that they <laughs> – shut up <laughs> – that, you know – you lose a lot that you could learn from an old person. Yes. And that's what some people don't want to talk to the older people or don't think they, you know, oh, yeah, what is that they say now? Okay, boomer. Yeah. So you can't keep saying that. You say, come here, boomer. Let me learn from you. I know. So I'm asking you, how are you going to share your knowledge and make a difference in the world that doesn't have to do with family? I'm going to tie people in a chair and make them listen. <laughs> Wow. I'm okay. joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Sounds like a new Netflix special. Okay. <laughs> Experience. Just go out and do things. Let people see what you can do, that you are out there doing it and you're not afraid. 
So are you going to do that? I'm going to try. Okay. Like, are you going to take on the healthcare system? Well, try. What does try look like on the court? <sighs> Good question. Do you have an answer, George? I I think that um, it's being involved and holding leadership accountable for what's going on, and not accepting answers that are happening, and that you know. Um, and making sure your voice is somehow heard and your voices get together with the other voices mm-hmm. so that there is more power behind those voices. So you, you can see the swell that's happening now um, with you know, the people that are not necessarily the lo- who you think are the loudest really aren't the loudest. Yeah. But where does that take, you know, like for us, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. But I think uh, what retirement allows you to do is take that pause and say, okay, what can I do different now? What are the skills that I've developed over the years and where can I put them to use, mm-hmm. whether they're just for me or for the community? Mm-hmm. So I think being part of a community is a really important thing. And I think that some of the things have been lacking in moving around. Uh, and I think that everybody looks for that, some sense, so that they're, they're, we all want to be part of something. Well, I don't want it to be separated. Yeah. But I want us to know that we're all somehow connected and I want to be part of something good. And I think also because I think it's also important for people that are the boomer baby age or whatever need to try to improve the world for the ones coming up Mm -hmm. and not just say, well, I'm done. I can just, you know, sit back and relax. No, you know, you want it better for your kids and grandkids and their kids and grandkids. So you have to try to see how you can change it that way. So you're leaving not just your mark, but a mark for the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be something, you, you know, like healthcare. Yeah. Maybe it's just, you know, you have a job at the corner hardware store where you help somebody, show somebody that, a skill that you have that you pass along. Yes and no. <laughs> because I think the two, like, it... The world needs powerful people to be giving their all. And if the two of you are like, listen, my contribution for the next 30 years is going to be working at a hardware store, teaching people how to be good people from this perspective, it I would be like, skill. I know it, but I'd be like, that's cute. And what else? Well, <laughs> well, I don't think everybody, somebody's all may not be your all. No, no, that I understand. So, I'm talking about knowing what you guys are capable of. Mm-hmm. And that would be maybe playing at 1% for how powerful you guys are. Would you be willing to go to D.C. and get arrested to protest climate change? It would certainly spice up your your. I don't know if I'd like to get arrested. Would I hold up posters? Would I go out and march? Yes. Okay. That was a question phrased yeah. so strangely, Jordan. <laughs> Would you be willing to get arrested? <laughs> well, I think that means putting it all on the I, line for something you believe in. Yeah. Yeah, I would, but I wouldn't do it. Like some people get a little too over crazy and powerful and push and shove. I, I don't want the violence. Yeah. I just want, I'm here. See me? Hear me. That's it. So what do you? how do you feel about Jane Fonda being arrested every Friday protesting? Well, she started that way back with the Vietnam War doing stuff, so that's her deal. I'm not like that. Do you think it's effective or not effective? 
I don't know. Has it made well, much of a difference? If it makes a difference, it's certainly effective. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that, you know, it takes people like that. You, you may or may not agree with her. Yeah. But it takes people like that to to put themselves out there so that other people uh, fall in line behind that or start supporting that or saying, wait a minute, what what is going on here? Why is she bringing attention to this? Because, mm-hmm. we're again, we're all so busy. We're busy taking care of our families and and working two jobs and and you know doing all these things. We have to make sure that we're you know paying attention to all these other things, because again, it's holding the leadership accountable for. Oh, so we we want to get rid of all the clean water acts that we have. Well, that that may not be a great idea. Stop, you know, or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, those are all good things, and I think that should be part of it's it's in our DNA. Listen, everybody that's in this country came from another country. They took a huge leap. They left people behind, and they never spoke to them again. Moving around today is way easier. You can FaceTime with everybody. But the, it's in our DNA to to be the troublemakers, to throw the tea in the bay, right? We being Americans. We being Americans. And any new Americans, the same thing. Look what we to come here to do whatever they do, whatever it may be, from whatever country, whatever circumstance, mm-hmm. whether they, you know, whether they cross the border, climbing over a fence, or they overstay their visa, they're here for a reason. And uh, you know, we we people that have been born here take it for granted, and having the opportunity to visit other countries with you opened my eyes to so many other things that I never saw before. Like what? Well, I, that, number one, that people aren't different. They're over there. They have families. They go to work every day, or they want to go to work. They want to do the same things. They want to have fun. They want to take their kids on vacation. Yeah, and I think that, you know, how fortunate us in the Western world compared to some other countries uh, that don't have that, and that's what they want. They, they, and people have to also understand that somebody coming here doesn't mean somebody loses. Mm-hmm. That just means exponentially we grow even bigger and better. Yeah, the all boats rise theory. That's right. And it has. It's, it's been that way for years. Well, it's, so I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And I think I get torn because I want like I want to, for the U.S. to be a place that people can come. And like if you're truly running away from something that's not working or for an opportunity, like awesome. Like great. Glad you're here. We want people that want to hustle. We want people that, you know, want to change their lives. And it's like how, like, there has to be a, a a way to do it that doesn't involve breaking the law, right? Like, how do we, does the law need to change? To, like, how do we kind of get there? I think the law needs to change. I know some people come here illegal. Yeah. Okay, but if they have lived here for, like, 10 years, yeah. got married, raised kids, kids are in school, this and that, you don't go up and take that person and say, you're kicking you out of the country now. Make it easier for them to become citizens. All right? It's not fair. People that have served in our military should be automatically be able to become citizens. I, I, as I said, if you serve in the military for America, I think you should become automatically a citizen. You're putting your life on your line for this country. And I, and I think there's just has to be a better way to allow people that really want to be in here, okay? It, and I know it's tough. Some come in illegally and this and that. But, and it's hard when so many come at once. 
because it's a very expensive to feed them and house them and everything else. So we have to figure something out. Okay, so when you think about what is most important for people to be focusing on in 2020, what are actions that people can put into place to um, be more participatory or be uh, creating a life more of their choosing than the regular treadmill? Some people just have to say that they're not going to settle for whatever it may be, whatever the norm is, whether that's a job they have or the or the, their family the way it is, or, you know, the community, you just can't settle. You have to say there's some things that are not, you know, we have to make changes. Just really going for what you want versus what you have. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Also, you know, it goes back to what it said about being happy in your happy place. Um, let's all make sure that we're, we're there and that we're not imposing on necessarily other people what it may be. But yeah. I think as a community, we have to look at things we're so connected now like we've never been connected before. So you just can't think of yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. Everything that you do and say now goes out to the world. So be aware of that. I think, especially these younger kids, you got to watch what you write and say on Facebook and everything. Because you're not just saying your opinion you're swearing at people you're calling them stupid and dumb and this and that that doesn't help anybody say i think it should be like this or i really agree with this just don't you know bash people for no reason just because you want to act like a jerk so i think that applies to all ages what are um books or movies or podcasts that have had an impact on your life and maybe changed it Well, I think reading anything is a good thing. You need to know what's going on in the world. So however you get that, just make sure that the information is from a valid point. Source, uh, valid source. Valid source, thank you. And that, um, uh, and, and read some things that make you understand other people. So what are some of those things for you? Like what are books that have really opened up your eyes about things? I've read a book and I'm hoping I get the title correctly. I think it's called The the Thread. Mm-hmm. You know, it was about a, a woman in New York who befriends a young, uh, a young boy who's poor. And that opens her eyes to uh, a whole other world, you know. She couldn't ignore it at that point and she became involved. Anyway, but uh, I think books like that that – Talk about, you know, my son just bought me the book uh, Nickelback. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. It's called The Nickel Boys. The Nickel Boys. Okay. I just got it. (laughs) I'm really excited to read about Nickelback. (laughs) (laughs) So that, you know, that's something certainly I don't know anything about. I mean, I grew up in a safe place. Um, I didn't have those problems. My parents didn't get divorced. I I think from reading the books, I think that – it opens your eyes to things that you didn't, you have no concept could happen. This, this little boy was late for school and they asked him why, you know, why couldn't you show up here at eight o'clock? Well, we don't have a clock in the house. And, you're, and it's hard to comprehend growing up like that. Mm-hmm. So I think what it, so you have to look, look at people in different situations Differently, and don't assume everybody has had the same uh, opportunities or uh, upbringing or upbringing that you had. That 
you know, some people's lives are very, very different than yours, even though they only may be, you know, a few feet away. Mm -hmm. As you guys um, have gone through your life, where have there been moments when you can look back and say, like, that was a pivoting point or that was a moment where my path changed? One time uh, your sister was having trouble in school. And I tried to talk to other parents and try to work this out and so forth. And I found that I was alone at that situation. And I had to deal with it myself and realize that they're still my friends, but I can't count on them for certain things. Mm -hmm. So that was a turning point for me where I said, okay, I can only go to them for particular things and the rest I'm on my own. Is that because you had to choose supporting one of us over? Yes, and realizing that they weren't, they didn't care as much, mm -hmm. so they didn't want to help out or whatever. So they backed off. So that's when I learned, okay, you're still my friend, but I can only do so much with you. Mm -hmm. The rest I'm on my own. Driving to work one day, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to drive 45 minutes to work or an hour. And I can't live like this, so I have to make a change. So um, I just didn't accept the – I mean, I could have just stayed what I was doing for the next 40 years. That would mm -hmm. probably have been fine. But I said, no, I, I got to make a change, and that's when we moved to California and set a lot of things in motion. The other thing was also was a huge learning experience. I had an opportunity to go to Washington and lobby for a, for a business that I was in. Mm-hmm. And that was really eye-opening to how the process works. And uh, it's not as clean, maybe, as everybody thinks it may be, that um, that there's a lot of people influencing people in Washington and that, that um, maybe we should do a lot more of that. But anyway, that was an eye-opening experience to how government works. Mm -hmm. So I got to walk the halls of Congress and Senate and go into people's offices and talk to some congressmen and some senators, and but an awful lot of 20-something-year-old uh, assistants. Yeah. Um, we ask everybody on the podcast where they are on the powerful lady scale. So zero being average everyday human and 10 being the most powerful version of yourself. Where do you see yourself today and where do you see yourself on average? On average, I'd say I'm about a seven uh, today, I'd say I think I'm about a nine because you guys are running me ragged this week. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to keep up. I'm getting up real early. I'm going all day. I'm moving all over the place. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, when, I, when there's things I want to do, I just get up and do it. And I feel powerful doing it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I can keep up with any of you. <laughs> It's not a comparison scale. It's a you scale. So uh, I think that, um, you know, a five and that uh, I think we all, you know, I need to do better. What does that mean? Well, all the things that I want to happen, I need to make happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those books that say if it's to be, it's up to me. It, that's really the truth. So if I want things to happen, I need to go out and make them happen. Big or small. Big or small. Mm -hmm. I disagree with him. Can I say that? If you can say whatever you want. Yeah. You're a nine on the scale, so yeah, sure. No, I mean, 
with what your father does at work and how many times he has to go out late, get up early, drive three hours a day, and drive back home three hours a day on these sites and stuff, I would give him at least an eight every day. Only an eight? (laughs) (laughs) Well, then it's it's how you're at home. No. (laughs) But seriously. I appreciate that. So how are you today? How am I today? Well, I, I still, from an overall standpoint, I still think, um, you know, I I think that I can do more. What does that mean? Well, <clears throat> it's one thing to do. You know, work is one thing. I think life in general. And I think about it. You know, we went to church the other day and on Christmas Eve. And, you know, how, are we helping enough people? Mm-hmm. You know, I've been paying attention to help my little family. How many you know, how can we help more people? I don't, I, because of moving around, I'm not that involved in the community. Right. So what do I have to do to do that? You know? So I think that's why I only say a five. Okay. Sounds like a really fun project for 2020. There you go. <laughs> Last two questions. The first question is, what is great advice that someone's giving you that you would like to give to the audience listening? Hmm. Could be anything. Do what makes you happy. And even if you're scared, nervous, you know, push through it. Once you get to the other side, you'll be, wow. And my one example is be, I was petrified to have all of my kids to the point where I didn't even want to go in a hospital and have you. I'll just like, I'll stay home, <laughs> just whatever. <laughs> And then, but then, wow. And I've done that with other things. Like, you know, there were times I was afraid to go and do it. But I'm like, if I don't, I'm going to regret it and be more mad at myself. And push through, and then you're like, wow, I'm glad I did that. You know, sometimes it's not the advice someone gives you, but what they don't give you mm-hmm. that makes you move forward. So I think... um a lot of times there wasn't a lot of support prior to your mother. So sometimes you, you know, that, that is the, for some people is a driving factor. What they don't have. Yeah. What they don't have. Or being told they can't do it. Right. Okay. So it'd be great if you guys answered the question this time, (laughs) 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 which is, <clears throat> What's a great piece of, of advice you've gotten from someone, and who did you get it from? Oh, I'm trying to think about that one. Not that your previous statements weren't valuable, I was just realizing you weren't—you were answering your own question. If I've learned anything from this podcast, is how you guys don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we make good politicians. Yeah. <laughs> My mother said. If I ever get in a position I can't get out of, I could call her and just ask her, what time did I have to be at grandma's house or someone's house to give me an out of where I was? I didn't have to lie to my friends or be embarrassed. Yeah, my mom said I got to go. That's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, it's always, you know, everybody, say you're with a group of people, they're all getting drunk and, and you don't want to go through with this. Yeah. Rather than, you know, peer pressure, this and that, it was a way I could get out. And I've even given it to you guys. Uh, Yes, I know. So 
that you know. I just haven't used it as a. And she also said, tool "Don't in about twenty years." I use it all the time. She said, "Don't be in a position you can't get out of." You know, don't get stuck at a party and or with a guy and you can't get away or something like that. Don't put yourself in those positions. Okay. My grandmother. She said to have integrity with everything that you do. Do you guys have a favorite quote? Hmm. That's a tough one. Favorite quote. Eat chocolate and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's, yeah. No, I wrote in one of my diaries I keep. Uh, what was it? Um, like from when you were a kid or currently? No, they're like, you've given me diaries recently. Journals. Uh, a journal. Mm-hmm. What is it I wrote? Um, Dear diary, I love chocolate no. more than my husband. <laughs> chocolate on the shelf, or chocolate in the store, chocolate on the shelf. The best place for chocolate is chocolate in your mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I figured you'd all laugh at it later on when you read it and I'm not around. Right, because we're going to find that. Of all the statements, we're going to find <laughs> I that, put a quote in in the back of all the journals I've been writing for you, sh- you guys. You should. Uh, that, that's the kind of gems you should be putting on Facebook, Mom. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So the one I like is, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. That's a good mm-hmm. one. All right. So for everyone who's out there listening to this podcast, who is looking to figure out their purpose or to make the big leap to go after what they know they should be doing in life or are just looking for ways to be more powerful, what last piece of advice would you like to give our listeners today? Don't go on a time frame. You don't have to be the best at age 21, 25. You could be great at 50. Go for what you want, but if it takes longer, that's okay. Enjoy the journey. Because sometimes when you get to the end of the journey, you're like, now what do I do? And you still got another 50 years to live. So all of life is a journey and, you know, it may not come right when you want it. Just, all right, we'll get it eventually. Yeah. It's about being present. And I think we all get caught up in day to day. So you really have to be with whoever you are, but, but be present and then be fearless. Yeah. Don't judge yourself by, well, what other people have done. You know, you don't, you don't feel bad because someone's so much ahead of you or this and that. It's your journey, mm-hmm. and it happens when it's ready for you. Don't compare yourself. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for being on the Powerful Ladies Podcast. I hope we had fun today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It has been an honor to share a little of our parents with all of you today. Now you have a sneak peek into what it's actually like on our family road trips and family dinners. Moments of wisdom sprinkled in with the absolutely ridiculous. You're welcome. As always, they've impressed me with their professionalism and insight, and they've also surprised me with some of the things that they came up with. Um, but I hope you all enjoy this peek into what at least one classic American couple is thinking and feeling in today's decisive political climate. And you've gotten some great advice from my 100% biased opinion of the best parents in the world. If you would like to connect with, support, or follow George or Wendy, you can follow Wendy on Instagram at Duff, or you can email George at gduffy at hotmail.com. I hope you've enjoyed this new episode of the Powerful Ladies podcast. If you're a yes to Powerful Ladies and want to support us, you can 
Subscribe to this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a powerful review on Apple Podcasts. You can also be one of our Patreons for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com forward slash powerful ladies. We can get access to exclusive content that we're making just for you. Follow us on Instagram at powerful ladies and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page. And of course, visit our website, thepowerfulladies.com for all the latest news, details, and updates. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. Without her, this wouldn't be possible. You can follow her on Instagram at Jordan K. Duffy. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.